Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble or bumble like a Gregor Bryan combo. Standing on the ground, by the beat burn. Killing worms and drugs, and I'm doing it on my terms. Welcome to the Rumble. We are back and better than ever helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we're here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy Lavelle with Remedy Claims Consulting at Claims Coach on Instagram and on TikTok, and they just call me the mouth of the South. Alongside of me is our very special guest, Mr. Daniel Robowski of National Claims Institute and Coastal Claims, and the vivaciously vicarious... The commodiously captivating, the one, the only, baby cakes, Miss Donna LaVette. How's everybody doing today? Good. Good. Daniel, how's it hanging out there? All the way out there in Florida. It's uh, it's rainy, which is... Is it? So, but other than that, man, it is, it is fantastic out here. You know, I spent a bunch of time in Florida and uh, like in the Orlando area because I was in wakeboarding. And uh, it, it's like it would rain was in the forecast every day. And all we did was just wait for a few minutes and it would quit raining and we would go right back to wakeboarding or filming or whatever it was that we needed to do. So that was always that. uh, that's one thing I remember about Florida for sure. I went through that in Colorado as well. I was uh, I was stationed at Fort Carson. And so you every day about three o'clock, the rain would come over the top of the mountains and you'd just be sitting there going, come on, let us go. Let us go. And it would last 20, 30 minutes and then the sun would shine again every day yeah um i i love colorado too that's my other favorite place on the planet is colorado because i love to snowboard one of my favorite things in the world to do for sure in fact i think my ashes are going to be spread at steamboat that's what i'm hoping anyway (laughs) what are our fun facts donna you got any fun facts for us i do have fun facts the first one is the circular the, and I can't talk. That's one fact. The first one is the circulatory system is more than 60,000 miles long. Wow. Well, I'll remember that. <laughs> you should. Yeah, I'll just file that away around stuff that 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 I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell people at a bar. Yep, you'll be a be a big hit hit at parties. Yes, um, I am. Also, let me see. The cornea is one of the only two parts of the human body without blood vessels. Well, there we go. Yeah, no blood vessels right there. I actually knew that, believe it or not. Really? I was aware of that. Yes, I, I did. That. Yeah, I, I don't know. I paid attention that one day in biology, and I actually knew that. Yeah, it has no blood vessels. Isn't that interesting? Should I do another one that you may not know? No, that fact was really fun. Okay. I enjoyed I enjoyed the fact that I knew it. That's what made it fun. That's That was the really interesting. It wasn't an unknown fact. It was unknown to me. It was unknown. Yeah, it may be unknown to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, we have got an incredible show for you today. I am really excited to have Daniel on with us. We are going to be covering um, sort of sort of how we. how we keep a claim moving. And I think that that's a really important thing. We're going to be covering it in three separate rounds. What I want to remind you is that this is not a debate show. This is more of a discussion show, but uh, we're going to start each round off with this sound right here. And you'll know it's the end of the round when you hear this sound right here. And 
then we will move on to the next topic. Again, if you hear anything funny, it is certainly not me. It could be Daniel. It could be uh, Baby Cakes. But it's usually Baby Cakes over there doing the twisting and the tweaking and adding all of the really fun sounds that make this show absolutely interesting while you're trying to garner all of the positive content out of things. But, guys, I cannot wait to get started on this. This is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. So uh, round one starts right after this. Public adjusters, listen up. It's Jeremy Lavelle, owner of Remedy Claims Consulting, host of the Rumble, and most importantly, your claims coach. Public adjuster training is one of the hardest things to find. Sure, you can take some online seminars, you can show up to conferences, but none of them tailor training just for you until now. Whether you need to learn how to estimate, scope, negotiate, or prospect, I can help you drill down on the skills you want to develop. Maybe you're just starting out and you need to learn the claims process from a to Z, or you're just wanting to help are you just wanting help on strategy on a specific claim? I can help you find the traction you were looking for and learn how to truly control the narrative in the ever-changing world of claims. You can reach out to me directly at 888-596-8772, or you can find me on the web at remedyclaims.com and just click Get Started. That's 888-596-8772 or remedyclaims.com and click Get Started. You can even shoot me an email at jeremy at remedyclaims.com. That's J-E-R-O-M-Y at remedyclaims.com. It's time to move your career to the next level. Round one, cycle times. So I came out of the IA world. And one of the things that they leaned on us very hard as an independent adjuster is kind of quickly how, how, how quickly you got claims turned around. In fact, you were graded on that. And I think that that's one of the things that should be sort of translated to the public adjusting world. And when we were talking about this topic, Daniel, you said something that I kind of want you to, that I want you to share sort of with everybody. You know, there's, there's going to be times that you love us and there's going to be times that you hate us. And I kind of want you to kind of share that. So just real quick, I came from the contracting side, right? So everything that you just said, if you were to ask contractors if they believed you that the, the, the incentive for the IAs is to close claims, they would, they would call you a liar, right? Um, because they, you just don't see it, right? We have enough claim lengths and elongations for no reason that it's easy to point the finger back at the, the, uh, the adjuster, the carrier side, right? Sure. Um, but I used to go into, and I still do it to this day when I do handle claims, I go into it and I said, listen, you're going to love us right now because we are providing a solution to a problem that you have that you, you don't have the answers to. Somewhere in the middle here, you're going to hate us because things are not going as fast as you want them to go. They are not, um, the carrier may be giving you results that you don't like and we have to continue to go back and forth. But when it's all said and done, you're going to love us again. So you, there, we're going to go through this love us, hate us, love us game every single time. And, and it, what I, the reason I do that, because take a, an apartment complex claim. We're six months into it and everybody's starting to get heated. Then I go, hey, I want to remind you that six months ago I said this was going to happen. I said that you were going to hate us because you're frustrated. And we're the easy finger to point, right? And I'm fine with that. I just want to remind you that we had this conversation. And then usually, you know, cooler heads prevail and we, and we move on. Nearly every single one of my clients, I tell them this thing. I said, at some point in time during this process, you're going to get frustrated 
and you're going to get angry. And when that happens, when that happens, make sure you pick up the phone and you yell at me. You think that you're going to be able to move things along. You think that your customer status is going to be able to prod people along in a process that is almost impo- literally impossible to make it move faster because it requires because there's so many moving parts. Because I mean, just simplistically put, you've got a contractor at work, you've got uh, you've got the public adjuster that's working, and whoever may be on his team, and we can break down the different responsibilities and roles that a public adjuster carries, and then you've got the carrier that's at work, and all of these things are kind of happening sort of simultaneously of one another. The contractor, he obviously has other jobs. The the public adjuster obviously has other clients, and then the, the, the carrier obviously has other claims, and even that desk adjuster, just like your public adjuster, is working on, on other claims. And I think people a lot of times have this sort of envisioned in their head that until their claim is done, that's the only thing that we're really working on. And, you know, and and I think that that's a really normal thing to think. What do you think, Daniel? Well, I think there's two things that I want to add into what you just said. On top of every person that you just named in there, almost everybody in that scenario also has a boss. Sure. Absolutely. Is telling them what is a priority for them. And then the second part is. I think you're 100% right. And we have to tell people that, again, pretty regularly, that while this is a stressful time frame for you, we can appreciate that. And we're going to do what we need to do to, to get you taken care of. Your stress is your stress. Just like the 35 to 3,500 other clients we have, we have to mitigate that. And so... I'm going to take this chance, if you don't mind, to kind of segue for a second, where my my line of thinking on a lot of these things is a little bit different. And, and, and I think if you would find a bunch of prior service guys, we're all going to kind of talk about this the same way. Um, you can be sympathetic to a person's situation, but not show the empathy that affects your life, right? So what I mean by that is I can acknowledge that this has got to be stressful for you. And especially if you go in after a hurricane, after a tornado, after something like that, it is super easy to let your own empathy for a situation allow you to get kind of overly emotionally attached to people. And then then you are making somebody a priority, which then takes away from other people. So mm-hmm. when we get younger guys in, we have that conversation with them pretty regularly. Like, we're not telling you not to be sympathetic. We're not telling you to not have empathy, but you cannot let those things override you doing your job. And they're going to call you. They're going to tell you that the tornado blew off their daughter's bedroom and all of her stuff. And now they're trying to figure out how to, and that, that pulls at your heartstrings, right? All that does, as soon as you start to allow that to dictate your ability to do your job is elongate the claim process because you're going to do it wrong. You're going to spend more time on this person's house and less time on everybody else's. Correct. And I think it was funny. I, I, one of, one of the, one of the ways that I, I, I sort of market and I, and it's not just about marketing for me, but it's also sort of about maintaining a certain level of sanity. I'm, I'm involved heavily in a networking group and I'm not what you would call a serial networker. I don't go to 14 networking groups a week or anything like that. I, I basically have one meeting that I show up to. And one of the things that I was talking about, um, was sort of, 
goal setting, um, goal achieving. It seems like everybody wants to talk about goal setting, but nobody really wants to talk about goal achieving. You know what I mean? And and how you go about goal achieving. It doesn't do any good to set goals if you don't have a plan in place that is going to help you achieve them, right? And and say that again. Or at least an outline. At, at least an outline and and my favorite and one of my favorite lines i did not make this up but uh hope is not a strategy do you know what i'm saying and and you can't you can't just because you set the goal then you've got to figure out how to um then you got to figure out how to how to prioritize these things so that these goals and sometimes you're looking at like i've i've got like really small common goals like i would like to have a claim work product done in X amount of days. And I'm not going to really talk to, but if you don't sort of have that goal in your head from the time that you're made aware of the claim to the time that your work product is complete. So that's estimating, documenting, you know, the gathering of any sort of experts or anything like that. You've got to have that sort of thing done and completed and ready to put together so that you can submit it to the carrier in, in, in a certain amount of days. However long that is, I'm not really here to tell you what's right or what's wrong. I don't even want to give you a rule of thumb. But if you don't have some sort of idea of what that is for you and your process, that's the thing that I would encourage anybody to do is to get that. Because if you don't have that, what what you get confused between is the difference between importance and urgent and the biggest and the way that I delineate those two things is importance is something that comes from the inside. Whereas urgency is usually something that comes from the outside. If you are in an urgent state, it's usually by some sort of outside force. You get to call at work and you found out that your kid's in the hospital. Okay. That was not in your plan. That is an outside force that has redirected sort of your priorities for the day. You have a client call you up and say, you know, if we don't get this claim settled in the next next 20 minutes, then I'm going to fire you. And so that is an outside force, whereas importance is something that comes from the inside and we use priorities to help us figure out what those are. And we want to live more in the in the area of where I do important things every day and I spend less time doing urgent things. And when I first started, one of the things I used to always say is I don't really get to pick what I do every day because I was running around taking care of the urgent and so when we're dealing with claims, you are going to have a lot of urgent things come up. And so you need to have a plan in place as it pertains to dealing with those urgent things. I'm not saying that you don't divert off of what you're doing, because certainly some things happen from time to time that require your immediate attention. That's pretty common. I'll agree with that. And there's a whole operational mindset that exists in everything that you just said, because you have that you're, you're making that decision, right? So at some point you're saying, this is one that took me forever, office hours. Yeah. I would not forever, and I say office hours, not in a literal sense, right? But I now, at 7 p.m. every night, my phone goes on do not disturb, and there's a list of about five people who can call me after 7 p.m. Yeah. Because I won't, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with those urgent matters at 8.30 at night. I don't want to deal with the urgent matters at 9.15 when I'm trying to get my kids to bed or whatever. Um, so the, the flip side of that coin is you have people who live intentionally in that space where they're like, I'm going to, I'll, I'll deal with it. I don't, I don't want to miss. I don't want to not be there when Mrs. Smith calls me to tell me that her pipe burst, whatever the case is. 
and phone rings at midnight, they'll answer it. Well, you can do that for a while, but it's not sustainable. And also what that's going to prevent you from doing is growing, right? And so how efficient are you being if you're high performing in a space that requires triage that you're not triaging? Right. And that's a hard one for people to swallow because especially our generation, it was just, no, you just go to work. You just go to work and you just do it. And if the person who's supposed to do that job isn't there, you just, if you can handle it, you just take care of it. Screw it. I'll do it myself. Right. We were raised in that mentality. Sure. That's a detriment to the claim process. High performing people slow down the claim process. A lot of times. I can, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with that. I, I do. I, you know, one of the things that I wrestle with, one of the things that I wrestle with is I will often let perfect get in the way of good. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I don't want to turn it loose just yet. I will. Let me go measure this one more time. Let me get this one last photograph. Let me ask this one last expert. Let me hang on a second. I want to get this one last, you know, mold test or whatever, whatever, insert whatever activity to get this one piece of information. And and because I'm that way, one of the things that I have struggled with my entire life is procrastination is sometimes because of my perfection, it gets in the way of actually turning in something and moving the claim along in a, at a pace that is that is that is workable for all the other parties and all and their bosses that are involved. And so I think one of the things that I want to drill down on here is that you kind of you know, for me having like I have fulfilled sort of my burden of documentation and have an idea of what that burden of documentation is so that, you know, when you're done gathering that information. Now, I am also guilty of of, of continuing to look for information that affirms what I think that fits my narrative, because there's nothing more disappointing than when you you hire your own. Uh, like just recently, we hired a metallurgist to determine if there was damage to a metal roof and it came yeah. back and that metallurgist who is a bit on the conservative side said yeah there's no damage to that metal roof and i was like no i want a second opinion let's find somebody who will tell me what i think so you know and i and i think that 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 can elongate things from time to time well and you have to you have to be able to recognize that too right because there is a time and place for you to really dig your heels in and draw a claim out and you can do that when you personally are handling five to ten claims Right. When you have, you take somebody like Coastal, right now we have 30, no, 4,700 open claims currently. We can't afford to live in that space where it's like we can look at a file and go, wow, this one's been open for six months. Why has this one been open for six months? Well, it's because somebody wanted to hold, stand firm on $200 worth of drip edge or whatever dumb reason they want to insert in there. Right. Um, Alternatively, we, we have yeah. placeholders in, 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 in our system that allow us to break check that. So, you know, and I think that probably fits probably better into the next round, but um, you know, you do, you want to make sure that sure. You're, you're alleviating a bunch of that stuff to be able to properly indemnify the insured, but then, you know, your, your processes and procedures have to work effectively too. Well, I think I think one of the I think one of the biggest things, you know, and again, I, I know what you're I know what you're leaning towards in the second round. But I think the idea is to um, I think the idea I think the idea is to uh, 
you know, have that have that very real plan in place, you know, because I often want to I will run an estimate through a washing machine six or seven times, making sure that I haven't missed anything. And, and I think this becomes a bit more cumbersome as we deal with large losses, you know, and oh, as the and when you get when you get to have more complicated losses, it becomes it requires a bit more attention. And so you you can't when you're dealing with these large well, and I say large, what I really mean is involved. Okay. So it's not really the price tag. It's not really the price tag so much. I can't just say it's a $500,000 loss because you can have, you know, a, a, a 70 or 80 square tile roof and the scope is just to replace the roof and you're looking at a half a million dollars, right? So that's not what I would consider large. I would consider the price tag to be high, but it's not necessarily as involved. So I want to, when you're dealing with involved losses and it requires a significant amount of documentation, you want to make sure that that is, that is set in early and you realize I've got all of these steps that are going to exist within this claim that don't necessarily exist in other claims but also set the right expectation with the client too. I started in the commercial claim space. So for me, working a claim for six, eight, nine months was normal, right? When I came over and merged with Coastal a couple of years ago, it was this influx of residential claims. You would, if you are the reason that a residential claim is six months long, you have to reevaluate your processes. If there are outside circumstances, whether it be carriers or contractors screwing something up or whatever, then cool, right? You can only do, you can only affect what you can affect, but you have to be able to look at those timeframes and make a valid decision on how to move it forward. Sure. I, I, I think that if we focus on that, I, I, and, and especially the guys that are working on their own, you know, there's, there's a ton of us out there that have, that have employees and have other people that work with us, but for the guys that work on their own, those operational concerns have to be one of the things that you look at, you know, more closely than other things really and truly, because if you're just one guy out there and you've taken on 11 large losses, if you're so, if you're so, um, especially like, like in a hurricane situation, if you're working a hurricane, you can get the, uh, you can sign 11 claims and all of them be a very involved claim, as I explained earlier, and you're overloaded with 11 claims. And even your small, you know, 2000 square foot residential house becomes a very involved claim claim when you're talking hurricane claims or a tornado right. claim, you know right. what I mean? Because, you know, then that's, I mean, we've watched our average claim dollar amount over double because of hurricanes where we used to just do, you know, if it was the, the bulk of what we did was just roofs, right? Well, now all of a sudden you're doing interiors and everything else. We went from $1 amount to double that just because of the, of the hurricanes. So. Well, and 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 since you mentioned these involved claims that we're kind of talking about, kind of who we get to help us figure out how to gather this information, because we can't be experts in all territories or what we're going to get into in the second round, because round two starts right after this. 
using someone to help with your online marketing, make sure you go with someone that has years of experience. Our good friend Sally at Thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience. She can build you a beautiful 15-page sleek, interactive website, post on your social media platforms multiple times a week. She can do a video, an amazing CRM to manage and uh, maintain and nurture your clients, text, email marketing, review generation, a business listing on 60 plus search engines, including three voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, and more. She will also create for you on uh, on Google, a Facebook page, and Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need these for your businesses, she'll, she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites. If you already have these pages, she'll optimize them for you as well. Call or message Sally today. If you want to get started, you can reach her at 214-789-1651. Again, her name is Sally Brigance. Her number is 214-789-1651. And uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up. When you send her a referral that signs up with her, she'll credit your billing account. Logos are also available. Um, and she also offers a lead generation service in SEO, search engine optimization, where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T-H-R-Y-B. And you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E, Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E. And she can be reached once again at 214-789-1651. Round two, sorry, uh, round two, know your, pro- uh, sorry, round two, who's on your team? <laughs> Man, I just really botched that. That was, that's awesome. So uh, round, round two, know who's on your team. And so one of the things that I kind of want to ask you is because you deal with a lot of the operational burden of what goes on with Coastal and even National Claims Institute. You deal with a lot of operational stuff. What would you tell those guys out there that um, that they're really kind of on their own? So they're having to outsource a lot of the work, for, uh, the uh, their work product, as you know, whether it's estimating or inspections, whatever the case may be. How do you organize those people? So I always tell people. Every, any opportunity that you get to transfer liability, you should take it. Mm, that's just awesome. Do, just doing that takes so much of your workload away. Do I know these things? There's a good possibility because I've been in the industry for a long time, probably the same as you. I probably know the answer, but I want somebody else to say it. I want somebody else to be liable for that piece of the puzzle because then my, my argument tactics change. When the carrier pushes back on something, I can go, well, this, I always used to joke and they kind of went away over the years, but I always used to joke, always trust a guy with a stamp, right? If my name and my title came with a stamp, I, I'm going to use that guy, right? So, mm-hmm. and now we kind of got away from that. Everybody just puts letters at the end of their names and it's all digital shit now. But my point is, I always trust a guy with a stamp. If that guy and the carrier pushed back and said, well, we don't believe that, take a hurricane claim, that moisture got in here. They're like, well, this... Um, industrial hygienist who's certified stamped it and said that it is not only do they say that it was wet they said there was microbial growth and there's bacteria and pathogens and all these things in there right i didn't say that this guy with the stamp said it 
So I'm transferring that liability. I want to do that as much as humanly possible because then also I'm not focusing on that individual task. I'm allowing somebody else to perform that task. If I was asked to go moisture map an apartment complex, how long is that going to take Daniel and Jeremy to do? A good it's going to take Jeremy a long time. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> Forever. But my point is, or hire an industrial hygienist to go do it. Do I need to know the, you know, if I see a crack in concrete, I'm not going to assess that. I'm going to go call an engineer to come out and go, no, crazy. That's a superficial crack. It doesn't mean anything. Well, cool. I just needed you to say it, right? Um, that in itself takes a huge labor burden off of the individual. And, and the struggle for that is a lot of times these people cost money, right? They're taking away a piece of what you're going to make on that file. And especially for younger guys, it's hard, or the one-man shows, it's hard to start slicing up those pieces of those pies. And then you start to go, okay, well, I guess I need to grow then. And then you have to start being willing to take off the hat for whatever that role is. So when you're the individual person running it, it's easy to wear all the hats and make all the decisions. You don't have anybody to second guess you. You don't have anybody break checking you when you make a stupid decision. You are solely responsible for all of your stuff. When you start growing and it's prescriptive and it's not some windfall, then you have to start going, okay, I need a guy who knows finances. I need a person who knows operations. I need a person who understands compliance because I want to work in 10 different states and I'm not trying to get my butt suit off or I'm not trying to lose my license in one that will stop me from carrying and holding it in others. So you have to start to be able to identify those people. And when you start to, when you're really looking at things from an operational perspective, the framework is built around what pieces do you require for where you're at and what pieces get to be plugged in for where you want to be. I remember <laughs> I, you, 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 when you say transfer the liability of it, I, I absolutely, I don't know that I've ever thought of it like that, but I think that that's really good. And I think it also speaks to, um, when you get ready to turn work product in, it's like, look, I'm here as an adjuster that means. And so what does it mean to be an adjuster? It means that I by and large understand the insurance laws as it pertains to the claim that I'm working on. I understand kind of what the state says about things. I should have a good working knowledge of what the policy says about things. And so I know whether or not there's coverage, you know, um, and then kind of beyond that, that's where the end of my expertise sort of ends, right? There is, but then, then we get into some competencies. We go from expertise into competency, and there's a difference between expertise and competency. And so I am competent in, in, in construction. Now, I am not the guy that you want painting your house. I can, however, tell you with some degree of accuracy how a house gets painted, you know, and whether or not these labor actions are going to be required in order to get this thing done. So there's a level of competency that I have and that I can speak to. But one of the things that I love to do is is give the put the power of the person who's actually doing the work into their hands. It's like 
you know, I may have four different contractors quote four different prices for the exact same scope of work, you know, and it really has to do with where their expertise lies and then how it moves into competency and you go from competency to understanding and then from understanding to ignorance. You know what I'm saying? And so you, you move down, you move kind of down that chain and where I like to, I like to have a lot of expert opinion in there. And I am not an expert in very many things. I'm an expert in kind of what I know and understand. And I don't want to let my competency overwhelm where an expert is available, if you know what I'm saying. I'm with you. And, you know, you bring up a good point on the, you know, getting getting companies or four different bids for the same thing, right? And and you're, uh-huh. I agree with everything that you said, but there's another element of that that, that I think everybody overlooks. And that is as a as a contractor, you may be the best painter, gutter guy, window screen, roofer that the, the planet has ever seen. But if you're running your business like crap, the cost for you to produce that product is going to be higher. So sure. there's a there's a business element that exists there. And because my brain constantly lives in the operational side, and I'm like, how do I make this more efficient? How do I make this process more fluid? When I get a claim in or a file in and it's got four different prices for the same thing, three different prices for the same thing, I'm, I take the time. I'll look up the companies and I'll be like, well, ABC Roofing is like, they've been around since 1974. They're, they're in my brain generally where they should be. The, you know, Jimbo's Roofing looks like they just opened their page on Wix yesterday and their price is double, Right. There, there's an element of your business practices that dictate your prices. And I think it's something that gets overlooked a lot um, because unfortunately in our industry, a lot of people's personal financial obligations become a business priority and it affects their bottom line. I could not agree more. In fact, that is sort of one of the things that I think a lot of public adjusters out there that are running into because the reality is is there's not just a ton of continuity in how one public adjuster to another public adjuster or one firm to another firm really goes about it do you know what i'm saying in a world of a thousand ways to skin a cat i mean we've got just about all thousand covered you know and so um I guess one of the things that I struggle with, because I'm kind of the only, I am the only guy that works within my firm. And that is a situational thing right here and right now, mainly because of, you know, just other things that are going on in my world, my ability to train other people, get connected with other people. But the biggest issue is, is that I am organizationally not set up to provide, you know, the lead generation or the sales or the business development part of it, because I'm also working claims because most of the people are not, you know, while I want remedy claims to have a really good name behind it, do you know what I'm saying? Like I want it to be recommended by and large remedy claims would be really different if I left it, you know what I'm saying? And so while I want to add other members to our, to our team, I'm careful about how I go about that. You know, and 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 it's hard to find talent to bring in. So I am left like a lot of public adjusters outsourcing some of these things. And when claims get slow, the ability to carry forward the cost of proving a loss 
becomes very difficult and those are hard conversations that you have to have with your clients. How do you handle that at Coastal when you get into a situation where the cost of essentially proving the loss becomes quite expensive, five, ten thousand dollars something like that? So we're kind of in a, in a unique space because we are so large, right? Like data drives my day to day. So if Daniel is touching a claim, the wheels have fallen off the wagon, everything's on fire. We've got to reevaluate what's going on. Um, Oh, I long for those days. (laughs) So I don't, I I mean, I haven't, with the exception of just kind of jumping in and giving one of our younger PAs some advice here and there, I don't touch claims. Now, Frank, the, the president and CEO, that fool is in claims every single day because he loves it. That's what he wants to do. But uh-huh. then in, in that same breath, he brought in people like me to handle all the rest of this stuff. So I say all of that to, to circle back to your point. Our margins are so low that we can afford to do that because of the, we, we're, we're getting a piece of every single French fry, right? So gotcha. we can run on such a small single digit. We could run claims at, at 5.6% and be profitable. So it makes it easier for us at that point to go, okay, well, we need an engineer on this. Okay, well, we need to, and help, you know, we need to fly a, a drone guy out to Arkansas for some crazy stuff. You're in a, not Arkansas, obviously, because nobody gets to play in Arkansas, but you get my point. Right. Um, you know, so because our margins are so low, you know, we were able to facilitate that. Now, two years ago, when I was just running Robowski Consulting before we merged, completely different conversation. And you have to kind of walk in that gray, hazy area of saying, I really need an industrial hygienist. I need an engineer. I need a, you know, whatever, insert an MEP guy, right? But I personally can't afford that person. So then how do I pay for that person? And contingency, maybe. Contingent on the claim being paid, maybe. But you're starting, you're living in that gray space of legality and, you know, um, then do you go to the, the homeowner, the insured, and say, hey, this guy costs $5,000. You need to foot it if you want your claim to be paid. I know PAs that do that. Um, I don't think well, it's wrong. It, it's just I don't either. Personal. But I also I also have had homeowners go, that's why I hired you. Mm-hmm. What am I paying you for? Well, technically, you know what I'm saying? That's... And if I don't get you paid, then you're not paying me anything. So... <laughs> Right. And, 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 and which is, which is absolutely true. It's like in order to do this and I am not in a position where I confront the cost. I work with many homeowners that they're not in the position where they confront the cost. What do you feel about using like that ACV money, that undisputed money to help fund some of that research? Where do you fall on an, you know, on the ethical lines there? Well, it depends. Um, my general thought on ACV money is we can screw with this if you want to, but we're always going to run the risk of not recovering the depreciation. Right. Um, two different schools of thought here. The first being, well, can I even get the ACV released without hiring these experts? Can I get to an AC undisputed ACV amount? Because a lot of times we're called in on a claim before the carriers ever come out. So if we don't get to an agreeable dollar amount without these folks, um, then are we going to be able to afford them if that money doesn't move? The alternative is it's a supplemental. They've already agreed to, you know, X amount of dollars on the ACV. Am I opposed to it? No, 
Um, but it's it's so circumstantial. In my well, opinion. and that's kind of where I fall on it, and 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 I think that that's where you, as a public adjuster, having seen X amount of claims in your history, not you specifically, Daniel, but one as a public adjuster, having seen how this kind of goes from time to time, realizing that I'm going to need this money. If we're going to get anything at all, if we're going to get anything at all, I have to have this piece of documentation. And we've kind of gone back to like the industrial hygienist. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you're going to have to have that by and large. And, and, you're going to have to have that in order to get the claim paid properly because they are going to be the ones that are able to produce the evidence required to get the loss proven and then therefore paid, you know? And sure. so I, I run into that a lot. I've, I've thrown some crazy ones out there though, where, cause I'm a big fan of you have to prove me wrong. Right. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a chess play there to let the carrier get the carrier to pay for it. You just know that the guy that the carrier is sending out is probably going to err on the side of the carrier. Right. And then, sure. but I can go, no, I'm, I'm telling you, this is a cat three water loss. This is a no shit conversation that I had with the carrier one time. He said, uh -huh. your estimate says this is cat three. And I said, um, what well, is, he said, well, where's your fecal test? And I said, why would I need a fecal test? He goes, well, the, in order for it to be cat three, there has to be fecal matter in the, in the water. And I said, no, that's one of, 10 qualifying factors according to IICRC. So if you're telling me that I have to have fecal matter in here, then we're done. And everything that you're going to getting ready to tell me is we're going to get thrown out of. And he ended up kind of going down the road that I wanted him to go down. But there's a chess match there sometimes too, where you can get them to pay for it, but you just have to know that you're going to have to go in and try to disprove what they're saying. And I know Chris Corville would love to be part of this conversation. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think, and I think basically the category is the amount of harm that it'll do to a human. That's really the question as it pertains to whether or not this thing is cat three, cat two. What is the, what is the likelihood of it bringing harm to a human? You know, if you've got, if you've got mold growth all through the house, that the water is set there long enough to create mold growth and bacteria growth and all that kind of stuff then it then it it can go from what would be a normal clean water loss it can quickly get into a cat 3 loss depending on the environment the humidity all kinds of other things that get into it you know i'm no i'm no icrc expert but i realize that the status of 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 the loss is directly related to how quickly we address it you were you were just saying that you've never actually worked a cat 1 water loss because of because of how quickly whatever category the water loss is, there can be a degradation in the category quickly, just depending on the environment and what's going on. So, um, <clears throat> so I, I think, I think as it pertains to putting, putting, putting together your team, I think that that's really whether, whether you hire them in-house or whether you assemble experts around you, I think it's an important part of understanding what it takes to handle claims. You know, and I think and I think it should be something that should be considered. But we're going to get into kind of how you uh, how you use all of these people and how you assemble the the, the puzzle pieces um, in round three, because round three starts right after this. 
The Paint of the Claim is looking for sponsors, and we would love to promote a business that provides services or equipment to public adjusters, restoration companies, and roofing contractors and general contractors. Examples would be like safety gear, roofing-related products, restoration equipment, payment services, CRMs, reporting services, expert services, anything like that. We want to help you tell your story and get you together with the people that really need your help. So give us a call. We can we can get your name out there and we can grow with you. Round three, know your process. Look, there are a million different people out there teaching the claims process. I mean, you work with National Claims Institute, and I'm sure that you guys kind of teach like a one-on-one course of some kind. I have spent a good amount of my time training public adjusters on, see my air quotes, the claims process. And then you'll also, you know, and there are different people teaching different philosophies and all, uh, you know, all in all, there's, there's a lot of different ways to go about this, but it's the nuances, it's the steps and whatever that claims process is. Is I think that you need to ha- kind of have your working knowledge. Can you share with us kind of what the claims process is at Coastal? Maybe what you guys teach at National Claims Institute. So if they want to kind of get more information on that, kind of how do you guys do it, Daniel? So I think I think first I, I want to lead that with saying that just like lawyers and doctors, I, I really feel like it should be the practice of public adjusting. Right? I agree. Because it is ever evolving. There's, and I was having a conversation this morning about how some of these processes work, and you do you're you're constantly having to be in the know of what's going on in each individual state, um, what's going on with your team, what's going on with certain contractors, what the kind of projects you're getting into. Because if you don't, the cookie cutter approach is going to fail you, right? So we can give people the knowledge of general. Hey, make sure you check with your state to ensure that you're following statutory guidelines. Please make sure that your contract has been vetted by your state, unless you're in Texas and you do the TDI contract. Right? So we can go through a lot of that stuff. But for us, the PA 101 class does a lot of, um, it deals mainly with like what you should be looking for as a PA. Not necessarily in any particular order, but it's saying this is where you are going to find something in a policy document. These are these are the things that you need to make sure. This, you know, when you're looking at uh, endorsements and exclusions, what that where to find those, and to make sure that they're not double endorsed or double excluded. Um, make sure that these people have paid their policy premium. Right, like just little things to kind of stop and go. Okay, these are these are the potential pitfalls and impacts. Right. What we try to avoid in those classes are the, like we were talking earlier in this uh, episode, like the competencies that you may already have. Like, I'm a general contractor in a bunch of different states. It's very easy for me to dive into that mentality and that, that mind frame of being like, well, no, there's no reason that we should get somebody to be saying it's a thousand dollars a square for free tax, right? Right. And those come up, but for us, our process is automated. We have, because again, we've gotten so large that our onboarding goes through our website. There's a form you fill out, you can submit. Somebody here in our office uses that documentation, make sure that you have the, you know, the bare bones that you need to, to be able to fill out a contract. They prep a digital contract, they get sent to you, 
as soon as we get it back. And the same, we, have, we call a team lead here. We have a team support, team lead support staff. That's all they do. They fix it. Um, contracts, then when the large the carrier can certify the policy. Uh, and then once that, and while that's being done, we're assigning an adjuster, we're scheduling inspections for our own stuff, or, or at least the inbound information from the contractor. And then we, depending on what type of mistake we received the claim, for, for the sake of this conversation, the cradle to grave file has never been opened, right? We're going to, our team lead folks are going to be calling the carrier, scheduling that inspection while our guys are prepping. Like our, our, our assigned PA is looking at it and they're going, okay, this image, this, they're prepping their argument. Initial inspection happens, statutory guidelines for time frames get kicked in, and then we have our and we use Claim Wizard, and we work so closely with people at Claim Wizard that we've, we know where, where to step, obligation steps, and that sort of stuff. So every X amount of people get a prompt saying, hey, if you have a customer, you got a customer. And then at the end of 45 days from the day we receive the contract, 45, then a manager steps in, reviews the file, and says, okay, this is not remediation in Florida or a couple other states. This is, needs to go to appraisal, litigation, or we can continue moving down the road if we're going. Looks like we're going to get to a settlement. We have those breakdowns in place every X amount of time. The first one's at 45 days, and then it, you know, 15 days increment after that, because we want management in the file, we don't ever want one of our guys to be carrying 100 files and two of them fall through the cracks. Nothing happened for six months. And then a homeowner calls through all this off and we're like, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Smith, nobody's even looked at your file since January of 22. Like, <laughs> that's so detrimental to the entire process and it makes your brain look bad. Um, it makes you look bad if you're the asshole on the phone. And so what do you do with that? Well, you have to start putting these systems and processes in place. and all the way through, and in our system, all the way through till the final check is received, dispersed commission payment, all that stuff gets stamped up and closed before a file gets shut down in our system. Upper management has to look at it and bless them. We have all of these contingencies in place along the way. Well, I I, I think that that's that's really good. I I mean, and so organizationally that is fantastic when you can have that some people don't necessarily have that but i think what you want is you want some reasonable facsimile of that in place whether you're using your crm to help you help notify you whether you're using um you know reminders on your iphone i don't really care what what it is that you're using but you want to pay attention to these things one of the things that i think a lot of public adjusters forget is that just because i mean because i think it there's two primary phases. There's the proving phase and then there's the completion phase of the, of the claim. And let me define that quickly. It's like, we go out, we prove the loss, we get the scope, they send out the ACV check and now the contractor can go to work. And then a lot of public adjusters just kind of close that file. They set it on a pile somewhere and they forget it. And they, and, and they, they're waiting for the contractor to call them back because they're wanting to get paid. The contractor wants, you know, their recoverable depreciation for the replacement that they've performed, or, you know, there's a, there's a myriad of different things there. I want to point out though, 
that there are some homeowners that will not go get the work done. And right there in the policy says something along the lines of you have 180 days, you have a year, you have this much time to get the work done prior to prior to them. You know, if you don't get it done in this amount of time or you don't notify them or submit in writing for whatever extension that may be available, but the policy is going to dictate some of those things. And so getting that recoverable depreciation is often something that falls through the cracks within the process. The other thing that I want to point out is that claims present different issues. You know, not every claim I'm on has an engineer on it, but when it has an engineer that instigates and starts off and fires off a different process of how we're going to go about that. Does this mean I need to start looking at getting a competing engineer or do I think this is something that I can handle in the driveway if I need a competing engineer and we're basically going to go through some bastardized version of appraisal where these two engineers argue with one another? You know what I mean? Is that what we're going to do? Is that what you're trying? And I ask the carrier that a lot of time. Is this just a bastardized version of appraisal where you get your guy, I get my guy, and then we let them come up with something, and then that's what we're both going to agree on? Because if that's the case, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. where, where, what are we going to do here? What is, what, how does this thing fire off? What are we, you know, how are we trying to prove this thing? Because you're, I'm trying to prove I'm right. And you're trying to prove that you don't want, you don't have to pay it. It's not really about them being right or wrong. What they're trying to prove is their limits of liability and what they owe. Yes. And whether or not, yeah. Cause they're not interested in being right. They're in, they're interested in keeping their money. And so they will do whatever they can. So there's no ego for them involved in this. What they want to do is hang on to the money. And so that's what they're going to do everything they can. They're going to elongate the process by putting these impediments in our way. And how we navigate those things is really important. And so if you don't have a process in place or a standard operating procedure for these different things, you need to really start thinking about getting one. And I think that that's where we all need to be educated. Well, and they don't have to be complicated, right? That's Correct. They No, they don't have to be complicated. Yeah, you're right. Be five steps, you know, and we used to do a thing when it before I moved to Coastal, when it was just Lebowski, I would sit there and I would say, every Friday I'm calling every client that we have. Right? That's that was part of my SOP. Every Friday I was going to file, regardless. I don't care if I happen to update them on that Thursday. I was calling them again. And sometimes that phone call is like, hey, sorry, Mr. Smith, there's no update right now. Right? But it became a standard practice. And then you start to compound it on top of those things. And then you start to, it's like, uh, it's like the timeline conversation in the Marvel movies, right? Where there's one, and then this happens, now there's ten, right? Yeah. Well, like I said, an engineer goes up, now what? Which which of the phalanges do we do we go down that road? And so they don't have to be complicated. I think that's where everybody kind of gets stuck in the mud. It's like if you were given the keys to uh, unlock every door in the house, which one you open up first? And well, the easy way to get open the front door to get in, right? But immediately people are like, well, I don't know, bathroom, bedroom. Well, you got to get in the house first. All those jokes that used to exist that way. Yeah. And so if you start with, with the foundational thing, and in operations, they're my main, that's my thing. That's my bread and butter. I live, die talking about operations. You just have to figure out foundationally what it is that you need to do. The public adjuster, what do we need to be? Step one, indemnify the insurance. Okay, what pieces go into that? 
what is the one thing that I produce that the public is after that I'm a physical, tangible thing? I'm producing an estimate or a scope of work. That is one in the same, right? Yeah. Okay. How do I get the scope of work? And you just start working your way back from the end result. It can be as simple as five steps or as complicated as a hundred. But if you don't know what the end goal is and what the first step to get to that end goal is, everything in between is going to be muddy and you're never going to get it done. I, I I have a I have a question, and this is something that I've I've sort of done a couple of times, and I'm getting kind of mixed results from it. When I know that I'm going to be far away from the carrier's number, do you know what I mean? And by far away, I mean ex, exponents have to be used here. They've written for twenty five thousand, and I'm I'm looking I'm looking at a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar claim all day long. And how they're at twenty five thousand dollars could be due to inexperience. It could be due to you know coverage. It could be I mean whatever the reason is. When I'm starting, when I'm looking at we're along. I don't mean I think it should be forty, and they think it should be twenty. I don't mean that. I'm talking there is a there is a massive gap here between. It's like are we looking at the same loss? Because I don't think you're looking at the same loss. One of the things that I've done is I, when I write it in Xactimate, I'm an Xactimate guy. You don't have to be all of the lump sum contractor guys out there. I don't have any problem with that. I'm not going to sit and argue with you about it. If that's the way you want to run your show, by all means, I like Xactimate because that's what I spent time learning and that's what I understand and how I communicate. So it, I used to tell people, I don't mean to cut you off, but I used to tell people all the time, I don't care about your lump sum pricing. I will write the same thing in Xactimate. I'll be within 5% of you every day of the week. Right. As long as you're honest. As long as you're honest. Legitimately cost $100,000. My estimates would be 95 to 105. Sure. I can live in Xactimate all day long. I mean, here we have nine nasty level Xactimate people here and an XCT. Like, we love Xactimate. Sure. And that's, and I, I do too. I will sit and talk estimatics with you all day long, but, and because I know it, one of the things that I've done a couple of times when I know I'm going to be a long ways off of them is, is I, I send in just a scope report. Now, Daniel, as an Xactimate guy, you understand what I'm talking about. It is an Xactimate report, but it doesn't have any pricing on it. It is just simply the scope. And I had one adjuster go, there's no numbers on this thing. I said, well, I disagree. There's lots of numbers on it. There's, there's, there's quantities, there's footages, there's all kinds of numbers on this thing. He goes, well, I, I mean, how can we, how can we even talk about this if I don't see the price? And I'm like, because the right now, buddy, the price doesn't matter. What matters is the scope. And I want to talk about the scope. And once we have an agreed scope, then I'll get you a hard cost on this thing. But what I don't want you to do is look at my $250,000 number and dismiss it because it's 10 times higher than your $25,000 number. What I want to do is I want to talk about the scope and let's go through these labor actions and materials that I believe are required to get us to where we are. And if you find them to be illegitimate, that's like, that's the conversation that we need to be having. But you want to sit and tell me that I'm wrong based on a number at the end of this report. You are taking all 150 pages of this involved claim and you're relegating it to one line, one line. I could have just sent you the summary page at that point. Why? I mean, what else? I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? And you're wanting me to justify my one line. What I'm saying is, is I don't, I mean, never mind that one line. Let's look at everything else. And then once we agree on that, 
then we can put a number to it. And I've done that. I've gotten a, you know mixed results. I get some pushback on it. But generally, when I send them something with no number on it and I tell them we don't even have an agreed scope, what difference does the number make? You mean to tell me, what if I sent you this entire scope and I was $12 higher than you? Would you be okay with that scope? And they would have been. <laughs> and you would have been. You would have been fine with me doing all this work. So really, what you don't care, you don't care about the scope or the indemnification or what it takes to put them back to a pre-loss condition. You care about it as long as it fits within the boundaries of the number that you're looking for. So you think indemnity is attached to a number and not attached to a scope. And that, my friend, is where a lot of people get lost in the insurance claims process. And so when I tell you, know your process, the number doesn't matter. What matters is the scope. I, man, I agree with that completely. And, and like you said, I mean, that's what a lot of people get lost when we want to talk about elongating the claim process. If we're, if you're arguing the dollar, then the dollar's going to be up. I don't know what that was. That was just the little timer letting me know to ring the bell. But go ahead and wrap up when you're talking about elongating the process. Yeah, I mean, that's people arguing things on the dollar, a fifty thousand dollar claim is a fifty thousand dollar claim. You can try and make it seventy five thousand all day long, and you might get it to sixty five thousand. But is that what's in the best interest of the insurer? And that's and that's really what it boils down to. And you know, when people start looking at the dollar amounts, it makes it really hard to get their brain out of that type of thinking. Because if you just identify the proper scope and the dollar amount associated with the scope. You do that over and over and over again, your company will be successful. I completely agree with that last part because look, the reality is, is that, and I'm just going to pick, I'm just going to pick a car here. If you could show me a car that like if a brand new Ferrari for, for $15,000 all day long, let's go buy that thing, you know, because that seems like a pretty good deal. I mean, I don't have any problem with spending $15,000 on a Ferrari. You know what I mean? Correct. Aside and apart from the cost of ownership and all the other caveats that we could get into, the point is, is that would seem like a, a really good number. The thing is, is then you're getting a Ferrari for $15,000. That is, and most, of, and you can't handle claims in that kind of way. You can't just sit here and look at and base everything off of what it should be based on what you want to pay, because I want to pay $15,000 for a car. You know, and as long as it's $15,000, I'll look at any car that you have. Great. Well, I've got a 1972 Ford Pinto for $15,000. Let's go ahead and get that lined up for you since you're willing to pay seventy, you know, $15,000 for a car. I got a 1972 Ford Pinto with a rusted, you know, quarter panel on it, you know, and it uses regular gasoline. I don't mean regular unleaded. I mean just old school regular gasoline, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and so, and that's why I'm looking at this and I'm, you know, that I have gone to sending them the scope and letting them make a determination of whether or not they agree with the scope. And I think that that is something that I'm going to be trying now. And I don't want to elongate the claim process. What I want to do is quit arguing over a number that doesn't really have anything to do with anything as long as we're under policy limits. And if you can't get them there, request a new adjuster. Right. We're here to agree on yeah. scope. Yep. Yeah. If you're on, if it's, becomes unreasonable just request a new adjustment you can do it a hundred times who cares sure sure well guys <laughs> so. 
that's all the time that we have this for this week on the rumble. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Your insight has been completely amazing and valuable. Um, Guys, if you like what you've heard, please click like and subscribe. And most importantly, if you uh, think it could help somebody else, I encourage you to share it. And uh, guys, we'll be back next week. And in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And we will see you on the next one. Hammer, I won't start it, but I damn sure will finish it.